0: Love music, live sport, pole position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. And welcome to Pole Position on Rock Sport Radio. Sam Jolson with you, alongside Adam Todd. We're broadcasting live on DAB Digital Radio across central Scotland on TuneIn and online. We're talking motorsport from 8 until 9. So on the show this week, is Bottas on the right path as Leclerc feels the steward's wrath? Harper signs off in style with his team full of smiles. Butcher leads the way in the Independence Trophy. And will Citroen's new look help Auger become a star with his new look car? We've got all this and more on Pole Position. Now, Formula One, (laughs) there was plenty to talk about there last weekend. Valtteri Bottas winning the Japanese Grand Prix last weekend, finishing ahead of Ferrari's Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton taking the final step on the podium. Now, that was Valtteri's first win since Azerbaijan back in April, and Adam, it was a race where, you know, he kind of did everything that was expected of him. Yeah, definitely. A
1: much needed victory for Valtteri Bottas. He had been under a bit of pressure because he got his new contract and since then the results have not been great for Bottas. As you mentioned, he won in Azerbaijan and won two of the first four races and we're talking about perhaps Valtteri Bottas can challenge Lewis Hamilton this year. And let's not forget last year he finished fifth in the Drivers' Championship which I thought was below par for a Mercedes driver, continuing his teammate Lewis Hamilton dominated the championship and won it. So then he was coming in this year, looked as if he was driving extremely well but results just haven't fallen into place he has been unlucky a few races this season but in Japan as you said great drive from him, he was fully in control as well great start
0: and from there on in he didn't look back Alright, let's look back on all the action now by speaking to Luke Smith from Crash.net who joins us now Luke, how big a win do you think that was for Valtteri Bottas? Uh, I think it was huge,
2: Um, I think there's you rightly say, obviously having such a strong start to the season and really raising expectations about what he could do this year against Lewis Hamilton, uh, to then have the form that he did, obviously going six months basically without a race win, um, I think that did lead to a lot of doubts about his potential, about whether what his role really is within the Mercedes team, but I think to, uh, yeah, have got that win, okay, it's not going to keep him in the title race, Realistically, we know it's over, but even, uh, I think, prolong Lewis Hamilton's uh, coronation, I think that's the uh, a good achievement and a good statement for the rest of the F1 world. But, uh, yeah, Mercedes did make the right call in keeping him
0: for next year. Look, there was a lot of chat about um, when Bottas took that win at the opener in Melbourne about it being Bottas 2.0. Now, yes, things haven't really quite worked out that way, but do you feel that if Valtteri were to end this year on a positive note, could he perhaps take that momentum into 2020 and who knows what could happen from there?
2: Yeah, it certainly wouldn't hurt. I mean, we saw back in uh, 2015 into 16 uh, how that worked for Nico Rosberg. He had a really strong start, uh, strong end to the season, and a strong start to 16. That really laid the foundation for his title bid. Um, obviously, Rosberg did a lot of other uh, changes, and uh, his approach was very, very aggressive and very radical just to meet Lewis Hamilton. I don't think Bottas would go down a similar route, and I don't think Mercedes would allow that to happen again. But, uh, yeah, I think definitely if he can uh, end the season on a high and uh, he may not end up winning the title, but to finish second, I mean, that would be his best ever championship finish. that would be a big result in itself. And, uh, yeah, if he can really sort of show to Hamilton, look, you may have won it this year, but next year I'm going to come for you again. Uh, I think that would be, uh, yeah, a good statement to make.
0: Now, look, of course, you were at the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka last weekend and there was no qualifying on Saturday due to the, the typhoon in the area. Look, could you just give us a, a sense of what things were like on the ground?
2: Uh, Well, I think on the the Thursday, we knew what was coming, basically. And the drivers, they were very, very concerned. And uh, a couple of the drivers were really, really, really worried. And they were, like, very, very... Uh, I think stressed and sort of making clear to the teams that they didn't want to race if the typhoon was coming. Um, And then we were quite relieved on Friday when we got the confirmation that there would be nothing going on on Saturday. And then, yeah, we kind of all just sort of raced for the worst, really. Like, we all expected to be spending the whole day in our hotels. A lot of us went out for food, anticipating that we may not be able to go outside uh and then yeah to wake up on the saturday morning and to find out that the the uh, typhoon had drifted a little bit east and wouldn't be hitting us as badly as we thought that was a real relief and uh yeah and then on the saturday we were able to go out and do very normal things like go to the bar and have a drink or go out to a restaurant and uh yeah then we had to obviously go back for sunday uh it's very very windy still on sunday but lovely sunny conditions otherwise and uh yeah for a real super sunday was qualifying and the race so uh Yeah, I think we all came away sort of feeling very fortunate. It was really a best-case scenario ending to all of it for
0: us. I suppose a fantastic country to get a little bit of sightseeing in there if you can, I suppose, Luke. So It kind of worked out not bad, eh?
2: Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's one of our favourite destinations to go to each year. And, uh, yeah, it's not even the typhoons going to spoil that
0: for us. <laughs> now, look, I want to get your thoughts on um, one of Lewis Hamilton's comments on Instagram. It's, it's not the one about saving the planet and everything else, but it's the one about <laughs> <laughs> um, he was saying he would prefer to scrap all Friday running um, and, and move to kind of practice on a Saturday qualifying in a more compressed format. Do you think that would be feasible for Formula One?
2: yeah i do yeah I, I wrote a column about this actually on monday saying that i think it would be a, a really good thing to do and uh talking to a lot of the drivers after the race they were all well up to the idea as well um nika hulkenberg said oh yeah no more media commitments no more hanging around on a thursday which is uh, i think something a lot of them would be keen to get out of but uh it does sort of add that extra pressure and that extra um jeopardy which we saw with uh, Robert robert uh, and uh, kevin Magnussen crashing in qualifying that really did put pressure on their team for whether they would be in the race or not um and I think I like that. Like, and I like that, that, that condensed format. There's a lot of racing. It's a lot of uh, on-track action for fans. But the only drawback is that you put massive pressure on the teams. Um, I mean, their curfew ended at 5 a.m. on the Sunday for them to get in. And uh, obviously for ticket promoters and things like that, ticket sales, ultimately you're taking away a day of track action. It's hard to uh, recuperate that revenue just in one go. On um, alternative to that is you could do double header race weekends where you have a qualifying and a race on Saturday and the same again on the Sunday. I don't know, but I think it, it shows that F1 could make this work. Maybe not for the whole season, but uh, I think every now and then it'd be quite cool to change up the format for a race weekend and uh, yeah, do something a little bit different.
1: Hi look, Adam here. Going back to the race, there was a lot of talking points from that Japanese Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc v Max Verstappen on the opening lap. Max Verstappen seemed extremely angry after that first lap incident. How did you see it?
2: Uh, yeah, I think he had every right to be. And uh, Charles Klerk like said after the race that he was happy to take the blame for it. It was his mistake. Uh, so the penalty he got was very fair as well. And I think it showed that yeah, Charles has sort of had this no holds barred, very aggressive approach uh, since his running with the staff in Austria. And I think this has been the first time that's really bit him back. And uh, yeah, it's quite clear that uh, Suzuka are going to turn to. Um, with so Carlos Sainz. He was right behind him after the race. And he said that it's always very difficult because you know you get that outwash. You know you're going to be spat that wide at that corner. So he always is very, very conscious to try and take an inside line. Uh, Charles Leclerc only raced in Zuzica once before last year. So he doesn't have that experience, I guess. And uh, that will come in time. But uh, yeah, I think it was uh, definitely on him and a fair penalty that followed.
1: And then, of course, the damage that Charles Leclerc picked up from that incident. Then in the next lap, there was flying debris, which almost hit Lewis Hamilton. Um, it broke his wing mirror. Extremely dangerous driving, I felt personally, from, from Charles Leclerc. Uh, who who is it? blame, their driver or team? Because we heard some radio messages over telling Charles Leclerc to, to box and, and pit in this lap. And, of course, he was penalised after the race.
2: Uh, I think it's on the team entirely. Um, they were in communication with the FIA, and uh, the FIA flagged up saying, you've got a car with damage, Ferrari's are going to hit him this lap. They had a bit of back and forth with Scholl, and then they decided not to do that. And that's what triggered the post-race penalty, um, because, uh, yeah, they kept him out for another lap. And Mattia Binotto said after the race, they had full confidence in the driver and his judgment. But ultimately, we could see probably more than Scholl could. So it's not about how the car's driving, it's about what damage and what risk is there for others. Um, so uh, yeah Michael Massey uh, said he was very very annoyed by it that Ferrari had ignored the call basically uh, for that reason the penalties so uh, yeah I think hopefully it's a, a good deterrent for teams team to not do that again in the future
1: do you, do you think the penalties should have been more towards Charles Leclerc?
2: <laughs> um, well no I think it was I think it was fair I think it was uh, uh, enough to sort of be a, a warning to Ferrari ultimately they didn't keep him out any longer than one more lap after they were told um, so yeah I think that was fair
1: And also, talking about the stewards' decisions generally, I mean, investigating a a few incidents after the Grand Prix, you know, it seemed a bit all over the place, and a lot of fans are unhappy that they're not knowing the official race results until a few hours later.
2: Yeah, it's true. Um, But ultimately, I think that's just part of motorsport, that we're not going to know results, and I think uh, incidents like that until after the race. Sometimes uh, the stewards need all the evidence they can get to try and make the right decision. Uh, that's what made them uh, initially said they weren't going to investigate the Verstappen and the Clash. And then five minutes later, they said they were going to because they had a new camera angle come up. Um, ultimately, the Verstappen's race had already been compromised. He was already out of the race. So it made sense there for the stewards to sort of take their time and uh, have a, I guess, a better look and a closer look at it. Um, and then obviously, we have got the Renault uh, uh, cars on investigation after the racing point protest as well. Stuff like that. It's a big technical uh, matter. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's frustrating fans, sure, but I think it's just part and parcel of the game, really.
1: And Sebastian Vettel, great lap on the Sunday morning qualifying to take pole position. I mean, just a few races ago, there, there was some people even writing off Sebastian Vettel, but a great lap on Sunday morning. And then in the race, was it just as simple as a bad start cost him the chance of victory?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think Vettel has been in excellent, excellent form. Uh, yeah, the last sort of three races or so, and, um, Yep, arguably should have won the race in Russia as well. And uh, yeah, his qualifying lap, you look for the onboard, it was absolutely spot on and perfect. And we know how much he loves the boot there. And yeah, sweet vessel really hooked up around one of his favourite tracks. It was uh, really, really cool to see. So yeah, I think it's, uh, he's proven a lot of people wrong, even just in a sort of two race spin. And uh, yeah, he, he's still a real force to be reckoned with.
1: And one driver I want to get your thoughts on is Alex Albin and the Red Bull P4 for him, delighted with that. He's certainly doing enough at the moment, in my eyes, to keep that Red Bull seat for next season. What about your look?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think he's uh, fit in very, very well there. I think he's already been a lot closer to Max Verstappen than Pierre Gasly was. And uh, on the flip side of that as well, I think Gasly is actually really happy at Toro Rosso. He's really, really doing a very good job there. Very, very comfortable. Uh, had an excellent drive to take eight places Suzuka. Zuka. So I think it just makes sense for everybody, really. Albon stay in that Red Bull seat, give Gasly more time to develop and uh, I, I guess hone his skills uh, down at Toro Rosso. And uh, yeah, I think it will just work out best for all parties.
1: And Carlos signs another great drive from him in P five, and he's certainly best of the rest as far as the drivers' championship is concerned. He's having a great season, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he is. Yeah, he just keeps delivering. Really, is f one smooth operator now? Uh, so so consistent uh, he was on top of the world after the race talking to him he said that he felt like this weekend McLaren weren't just best of the rest they were a little bit beyond that. uh he was able to uh keep Albon at base first after the race and then uh yeah made Charles Leclerc give up on the on the fight for fifth place because he was so quick through that second stint and uh yeah he surprised himself with how quick he was but uh I think his performance is becoming less and less surprising to everyone watching
1: And look, the biggest disappointment of the season for me has been Renault because after their finish last season, I was expecting them to get a lot closer to the top three teams. That just hasn't happened. And they're nowhere near the pace of McLaren either, who, of course, they provide engines to. But Daniel Ricciardo, a good drive into P6. But overall, this season for Renault has been fairly miserable.
2: It has been, yeah, and as you rightly say, I think we were expecting them to be the team to bridge that gap, to the the big three teams, and they've just not done that, and it's been uh, really disappointing all round this season. Um, there's a lot of big questions needs to be asked there, I think, um, particularly of Cyril Thylaribeebball, and uh, yeah, I think that Ricardo he'll be going into the second and final year of his contract next year, and uh, I don't know if I've seen enough from Renault to convince him to stay for the longer term, because uh, yeah, it's just not been very good
3: this year at all.
1: And do you think Ricardo made a mistake leaving Red Bull, or do you think he knew that Max Verstappen was only going to get better and he was only going to get beat by Max Verstappen? I mean, of course, Ricardo can match Verstappen on his day, but Red Bull just seemed to be building the team around Verstappen, and Verstappen seemed to be getting the better of Ricardo, certainly in the second half of last year.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. They are sort of building the team around the staff and I think Ricardo realised that and uh, I think he played it right moving to Renault, honestly. I think uh, the two-year deal he signed that gave him a chance to really sort of sound out the projects and uh, up and down the paddock, I mean, up until last year, everyone was looking at Renault as, well, they could be the next Mercedes. Um, that ultimately I don't think is going to happen. So Ricardo took that risk, he could afford to and I think being a free agent for 2021 when They've got seats available at Ferrari, and Mercedes. I think it's a a good position to be in. So, yeah, I think think it was the right decision at the time. And I think he's uh, got himself a good uh, safety net either way.
1: And looking at Mercedes now, they've been dominant. Another double championship for them, certainly on the way with the drivers. I mean, it really has been incredible, their dominance of this hybrid era. Are there any signs that anyone can stop them next season?
2: Uh, I think it's all on... Ferrari Bull really step it up, and it's going to take something big. Uh, Ferrari have been very impressive last few races, but probably should give us a bit of hope going into next year. But, uh, yeah, Mercedes, every single time we begin to doubt them, they just keep finding new ways to get better and better. So, uh, yeah, unless something radical happens for 2021 and they really get the new regulations wrong, um, yeah, I think it's going to take something pretty big to stop them from uh, continuing this streak.
0: Look, I want to get your thoughts on. You know, there's been a lot of comparison about this dominant Mercedes era, and, and lots of people drawing parallels with Ferrari. But for me, it's, it's a different kind of dominance to Ferrari, particularly in the early two thousands. You know, yes, it was a couple of years where they ran away with it, but they, they were they were chased pretty pretty firmly by by Mercedes, uh, by McLaren, Mercedes and um, Williams as well at that time. You know, it's not, for me, it's a it's a very different um, era that we're in, in in this this generation of Formula One.
2: Um, I think so, yeah. I see you See where you're coming from, but also I think that the way that Red Bull and Ferrari have built up their game in the past few years, I think we, we're close to that again. I think we are at a point where they, Mercedes do have stiff opposition. It is just they are so good and they are so perfect in every single department. That's what makes above the rest and uh to ultimately come through two big sets of regulation changes um it would have been with uh, the the engine token uh, system for example that was done to help ferrari to help the other teams and peg mercedes back and then the aero changes 2017 that again was meant to peg mercedes back help the likes of red bulls uh take a step forward and mercedes keep on winning they keep on dominating so uh yeah i think they they just been absolutely class and um for me, I would actually put them ahead of that great Ferrari team. I think we are witnessing the greatest F1 team in history right now.
0: Wow. Excellent. Great stuff. Luke. thanks very much, as always, for joining us on the show. Really appreciate the time you give us here on Rock Sport Radio. Thanks, guys. Cheers. That's Luke Smith from Crash.net there. And stay with us as we talk more motorsport up next on Rock Sport Radio.
1: Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond, and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett may be able to help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. We've already helped thousands of people just like you claim back millions of pounds. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text GOOD to seven. Text GOOD to seven now. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists. Experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your work waste.
0: Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local Plumbase? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to Plumbase. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range, available in the Plumbase Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch
2: motorpoint we put the super into car supermarket we're here to save the day with a choice of over seven thousand low mileage nearly new cars find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away plus with motorpoint's price pledge if you find the same car for less we'll match the price and give you a 50 pound amazon voucher visit motorpoint glasgow today just two minutes from junction three of the m74
3: t's and c's apply see website for details
0: Love music, live sport, pole position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. All right, let's take a little recap of where we are in the, in the Formula One standings at the moment, because there's been a lot of movement, and let's bring us all back up to speed. So, of course, Lewis Hamilton leading the way, 338 points at the top of the Drivers' Championship. Valtteri Bottas taking that win at the Japanese Grand Prix last weekend, and that puts him to 274 points, and that's the crucial aspect of this year, because that buys him a little bit of breathing space between the chasing pack. Now, Ferrari's Charles Leclerc remains third on 221 points despite being demoted back down to seventh on uh, in the results last weekend. But now, this is where it gets very interesting because you've got Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel both tied for fourth place in the championship standings on 212 points. Now, Verstappen, of course, retiring from the Japanese Grand Prix last weekend but Sebastian Vettel took second, perhaps should have taken the top step in the podium. And that, for me, is going to be one of the crucial battles that we have here um, in the final four races of the year. Max Verstappen, I believe, has gone on and and had a a very polished season. Uh, If you you think back to 12 months ago, of the chat around Max Verstappen was, you know, he's having so many incidents with other drivers, he's he's getting penalties, things are going wrong. We all knew there was a quick driver there, but now, for me, this has been the, the breakout year for Max Verstappen. He's proven his dominance in that Red Bull team. He's proven that he is the he's the right man to take that entity forward. And um well, you know, this this is going to be a very, very interesting battle. Of course Sebastian Vettel, on the other hand of Ferrari, he's got to try and uh, almost restored his honour to some extent because he's got young Charles Leclerc in there in front of him in the driver's standings and of course looking to um, looking to to set himself as, as the top dog in that Scuderia team. So all to play for in the final four races of the season and we'll keep you right up to date here on pole position. So... Let's look to the Carrera Cup GB now and um, this year's champion, Dan Harper. He signed off his year in style with a win at the last race at Brands Hatch to help JTR win the team's championship. Now, let's catch up with our champion now who joins us. And Dan, many, many congratulations on wrapping up the title. Back at Silverstone, of course. You must be delighted with how this season's gone.
4: Yeah, absolutely, with the Um Thanks very much as well. Um, but it's good to be back on the show. I remember being on again. Uh about this time last year after my first season. Um and yeah, it's been a great second year and winning the championship and of course wrapping up the teams championship uh this uh this weekend at Brown Talks was amazing. Um and to have eight wins over well that's that's half the races in Career Cup. Uh so to win win the half is very good and I think I had six out of eight pole positions and uh, twelve out of sixteen fastest laps. So it really was an amazing year.
0: What was the atmosphere like in the team after all last weekend? Because you know the the, the guys at JTR have been brilliant with you this year.
4: Yeah, they've been fantastic. I mean, they're right from from last year. Um, starting off with the team, uh, there's been a great. i sort of a great addition to them, and uh, you know we worked really well together. Really good guys, and uh, just delighted to. To be a part of
0: that team and such a successful team as well. So Dan, talk us through the the weekend from your perspective. Of course, cl- classified fourth in the first race, but um, that that final one as well. How how did things unfold from your view inside the car? yeah, it was a really good last weekend. And you
4: know, saw him.
5: Yeah,
4: it was a really good last weekend and. You know, the, the team, of course, the car was capable of every lap, And so it was just a matter of me getting in and doing the job. And, uh, qualifying uh, didn't go to plan, really. The weather sort of caused a few red flags. And I was one of the unlucky ones to sort of get uh, be on the, the wrong side of those red flags and didn't manage to get a lap in. So I qualified seventh for the first race. And then it was a matter of coming up through the field, which I managed to do pretty well, come up to second place. Um, to then start second place in the second race and then took the lead off the line and controlled the race. So um, it was a very, very successful final weekend to a
0: great year. Dan, I think you're understating that a little bit. That was some moving outside of Paddock Hill for that, that um, second race. That was Im- impressive stuff to watch. Could you, could you just, just tell us what was kind of going through your mind at that point? Because you made a cracking start. But I mean, that, that's a, a very, very brave place to try and make an overtake.
4: Yeah, it was uh you know, I, I sort of knew um that I had to get off the line very because well Grant Ash is known to be quite hard to pass. And um yeah, it was just a matter of getting through off the line and get a good start and hopefully I knew Ross uh would give me the room on the outside and not run me too wide and manage to, to get around the outside and get ahead before going up to Druid. So um I knew the start was key and uh I I done the job and and as I say, it was a matter of then of just controlling the race and not letting, letting anybody uh, behind get in front of me.
1: Hi Dan, Adam here. Brand's a great track as well and going round it in one of the Porsches must be even more rewarding because it's a great car to drive.
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Brand's hatch is the perfect playground for a for Porsche 911 and especially the second race when it dried up. Um, you know, the speed out round the back through the GP loop is fantastic and uh, the big crowds, at Brown touch uh, was a great fit in the driver on and um the last last race in the Porsche was definitely one to, to remember.
1: And Dan, how beneficial do you feel the series has been in your development as a driver?
4: Uh, a lot, yeah. Um I mean over the two years I've learned so much. Um and I think my performance as a driver in every aspect has has developed so much and um you know the the junior programme and that's what it's there to do. It's, uh, when I when I won the program, I was 16, hadn't had my uh, driving licence yet in the roads, um, and now I'm a, a champion in career Cup. So um, whatever whatever they, they've taught me, um, it's, it's done well, and um, you know hopefully this is only the start of what hopefully be a, a long career. And uh, what I've learnt these two years will definitely go a long way in the future.
1: And Dan, what do you think the main differences are between this season compared to last season that have helped you improve?
4: Um I think obviously it takes a year to learn and uh, you know, coming from Genetics Juniors it, I had a lot to learn and uh, the car was completely different to what anything I've drew before. Um and uh, yeah, that took a long time to get sort of used to it but um and then obviously the tracks, although I knew all the circuits for racing in genetics whenever you're going approaching corners at uh, ninety to a hundred miles per hour compared to 140 to 150 miles per hour is completely different uh, circuit. Breaking points are different. Your corner speeds different. So um, yeah, it was a big challenge in the second year. I'd sort of learnt all that. I'd, I'd made a couple of sort of rookie rookie errors in the first year, and then uh, this year everything just clicked. The car was performing fantastically, and uh, yeah, I just I, I managed to 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 hook it up all year.
0: Dan, what would you say outside of the the title wins? What would you say was your your highlight of this season?
4: Um, I think uh, the the double win at Thruxton uh, was definitely up there. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't raced to Thruxton for a couple of years, and uh, you know the Porsches hadn't been there since two thousand and fourteen, and to go back there and it was sort of an all new one for everybody. Um, and yeah, the win both races and being the first ever to to win uh, both Carrera Cup races in one weekend since the reverse grid came into play is uh, was a great great feeling. Um, and, and also making my debut in the fourth Super Cup at uh, Silverstone at the Grand Prix weekend earlier in the year was a fantastic experience and uh, to finish uh, eighth in my debut was, was pretty good and hopefully um, I can go on and maybe do a full campaign in, in Super Cup next year.
0: And Dan, give us a, a shout out for some of your sponsors who have been part of your success this season.
4: Yeah, I mean, without my sponsors, obviously, it wouldn't be possible. And uh, you know, IFS Global Logistics and um, uh from from uh, both from Belfast, uh, they've been uh, very loyal to me for a few years now, and um, you know, their support has been crucial the last few years and getting me on the grid, and then obviously the other sponsors. Uh, McGacky Distribution, uh, J&J Conlon & Sons, uh, Motor Store NI, so um, there's an amount of people, really, that has helped me uh, get here. Uh, And those that I didn't mention you you know who you are, but uh, it's, it's really been a team effort, and Obviously, I feel now that the driving's nearly the easy bit <laughs> and uh, gather, gathering up the money's the hardest bit.
0: So, Dan, have you have you got a little bit of time off now planned to kind of just relax and, and look back on the year?
4: Um, as much as I'd like to say yes, um, no. Um, <laughs> because uh, we're straight back at it and trying to find uh, plans for next year. Uh, you know, winning the title obviously helps get something for next year, but it doesn't just arrive on a paper um i've got a Porsche junior shootout uh, for Super Cup the Porsche international shootout coming up in uh, the middle of November uh, which is taking place in in Portugal in Portimao um so i've got that to look forward to and um um apart from that then i have, have my uh, part time job at home uh so i'll just be back and forth uh, back and back at work and, uh back at the gym just preparing already for for 2020
0: Great stuff, Dan. Best of luck with that shootout and uh, congratulations again on your, your title win. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's Porsche Carrera Cup GB champion Dan Harper speaking to us there on Pole Position. Hey, let's stay at Brands Hatch because it was also the venue for the final weekend in the British Touring Car Championship, with Scotland's Rory Butcher winning the Independence Drivers title with his AMD tuning Team also going on to win the Independence Teams Trophy as well. Now, delighted to welcome Rory to the show who joins us now. Rory, many congratulations and, and thanks very much for joining us. Has it quite sunk in yet?
5: Well, first of all, hello guys and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah, it's, it, I would say it's taken a few days, Ken, uh, and I would say it's, it's, it finally is. Um, I think after the event, it's, there's so much going on at the track, and you know you're doing interviews, and you're so tired after, you know, the, the stress and the, the physical side of of the, the actual racing. That yeah, it's hard to actually really absorb it all. But I think no, I think I have now, and, and kind of come to terms with how how big a deal it is.
0: And of course, you were some 22 points adrift of Josh Cook in the independent standings going into the weekend, Rory. Do you think, in some respects, going in chasing the leader was a better position to be in rather than you know, you've you got three races and you're kind of looking over your shoulder?
5: Yeah, I think going into it, there was definitely a very, very small chance that I was going to, going to take the, the championship. And I think, in some ways, the pressure was lifted off me and, and I decided to go into that weekend just just racing, you know, just drive naturally and attack the circuit like I normally would when, when you're going to have to think about points. And the team were all worried about points, where I needed to finish and who I need to beat. But I told them, look, only tell me on the radio if you really need to. Otherwise, I'm just going to drive. And uh, I'm, I think we, we, we chose the right strategy there. Um, and... Yeah, we had a we had a, a cracking weekend. Um, Josh didn't have such a good weekend, and, and yeah, we managed to, to overturn overturn it and, and take the win.
0: And Roddy, throwing in extra dimensions like the weather and what have you as well, it was it was a pretty challenging weekend overall. There was lots to contend with, and um, you just talk us through that that last race as well because it was so much on the line. You were what one point ahead at that point. How how did you, you kind of process um, your, your approach for that one?
5: Yeah, well, you know, to answer your first question, uh, yeah, the weather was, was really, really tricky. It was, um, you know, really wet on Saturday for qualifying. Um, and then on Sunday, the first two races were, it was a, a, a case of, of, you know, you're sitting on the grid and you didn't know whether you're on the right tyres or not. So you were on slips or on pits. And, um, yeah, your, your competitors were, were probably going to choose something different and take a risk, so... We ended up getting through the first two races, and we were now one point behind Josh Cook, and it was a dry, dry run. And in and, and the last race, and whoever finished ahead of each other were gonna, was going to take the title. And uh, it was it was hilarious because the two of us ended up racing for about ten laps. And we were both second and third on the road, on, and uh, I managed to hold them off and, and, and take take second place on the road and, and take the championship as well. But uh, it's probably one of the hardest races I've had in my career, and stressful, very stressful. But <laughs> oh man, what a relief when we got to the line!
0: And of course, um, going on to to take the Jack Seals Trophy as well. I mean, that that's, that's a, that must give you a real sense of pride.
5: It does. You know, I would say the Jack Sears Trophy was probably um, on the, the lower end of my uh, what, what I was worried about that weekend. It was. It's a great achievement because it basically. What it signifies is um, I'm the, the leading driver in the championship who went into this season without scoring a podium previously. So it's my second season and I hadn't scored a, a podium last year. So I was up against a number of other guys, kind of rookies. And, and uh, no, it's, it's it's nice. And I tell you, the trophy is absolutely massive. So um, <laughs> it's still I couldn't get it on the plane home, so I had to leave it with the team. But um,
1: yeah, it's some trophy. Hi, Rory. Adam here. And with the team finishing third in the championship behind West Surrey Racing and Team Dynamics, that's a superb achievement as well.
5: Yeah, honestly, it's uh, it's, it's massive, and you could just see what it meant for the team when um, when we got when we when we won when we got that. Because I would say, you know, most of the guys who are, you know, they're all strong, kind of tough guys who work long hours and put on brave a brave face, but once we did, did that and achieved that, they were they were bubbling up and in tears, and uh, yeah, it, it, it meant so much. And um, they also obviously took the the team's independence championship as well. So, uh, oh man, we uh, we 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 did well. We did well.
1: And do you get a sense that the sky's the limit with the team at the minute?
5: I, w- I think so. I think all it's done is motivate us as a, a small team to kind of you know punch even harder. And I think. You know the way the way the team owners talking about investing in the team to to make sure that you know we have a better spares package, we have more testing. We're we're going to keep on all the top guys that we have working in the team so that next year sure we hit the ground running. It's uh, oh it's, it's music to my ears. So no, it just fills me with confidence that um, we can uh, yeah can really uh, attack and, and try and you know finish fifth overall in the overall standard this year. And I think and amongst all the you know the, the manufacturer as well, and I think next year it's it's definitely going to be a focus to try and take,
1: you know, have a have a shot at the overall title. And Rory, just take us back to the start of the season as well, because the team switched to the Civic Type R's, and that really gave everyone a great platform to work from this year.
5: Yeah, exactly. It allowed us to actually compete against the the might of the manufacturers, and um, you know the Hondas are a great chassis. Um, like you say, it's a good platform to to work from, and. I think it gave me and my teammate the confidence to, to do that, and and then also that filter down through the engineers and through the mechanics, and yeah, it's it's been a great place to to work this year. So,
1: and then, Rory, it's easy to forget as well that it is your just your second full season in the championship, as you mentioned earlier. On just talk us through what you learned in your first full season in the championship and how that allows you this season to put together such a strong campaign.
5: I think running in you know a less competitive car um I was able to kind of be under the radar uh, which I, I think for my first year was was really important um, I was able to learn how to, to race in the midfield um, and and also learn how to to score points I think consistency in this championship is so important and um, then I basically just carried that same strategy on into into the Honda, and definitely for the first half of the season, we were super consistent and um, and kind of built up a real bulk of points that, that I was able to use uh, and and kind of build on into the second half. But yeah, I, I have to say that that first little season last year was absolutely crucial for for this year. And yeah, it's uh, I guess this year I'm going into the winter and I've got other stuff that I want to I've, I've learned and I'm going to going to take on board and and try and improve my my own performances for next year as a whole. Mm.
0: And Rory, I remember speaking to you earlier in the year and and you you were talking about how confident you felt with the team and with the car. Was there a point in the season where you you felt that a title fight was on the cards here?
5: I'm not sure if I truly believed it myself. I think uh, that's maybe where where I went wrong. I think, um, you know, it's it's strange being in that situation, you know, especially coming from from where I was last year into this season. And you're up against guys like triple champions, and guys, you know, there's, there's still five, six, seven BTCC champions on the grid. So I think um, probably if I, if, if I can get myself into that position again where I'm in the top three uh, or, or maybe leading the championship again, I think, uh, yeah, it's need to approach it slightly differently. And, you know, I think it's always important to, to see the bigger picture in this championship. Um, you can quite easily get focused in on the here and now, when actually it's not about that, it's about the whole picture and, and where you're going to end up at, at the end. So, yeah, there's a couple of moments this year that would change. Um, and uh, you, one of them's probably crossed. I was leading the championship going into that weekend and came out fifth, and it's uh, you yeah, end up crashing and qualifying. So, yeah, I think uh, it's all just a big learning curve. And uh, it's just like the MG, like when I was racing last year the MG, it's just you've got to take all this stuff on the chin and then try and, try and improve.
0: Mm. Rory, there's been a bit of a, a real resurgence in the BTCC over the, the last couple of years. Why do you think that's been the case? Sorry, sorry can you repeat that? Just saying that there's been a, a real resurgence in the BTCC over the last couple of yeah. years, what would you put that down to? I think they've
5: just really hit the nail on the head in terms of the balance of performance across all the different cars and chassis, you know. Um, we're, we're all going round there at, at such close speeds that, you know, you can have 20, 30 cars on the grid it's all covered by, you know, a quarter of a second in qualifying. And on race day, it's, it's as hard to race for P13 as it is to bike for a race win. And it's so close. And I think also they've just nailed it with the, the fact you know, the ballast for success ballast also with, um, they've also done really well with the tyres the, the in terms of having different compounds for the weekend. And what it does is it just creates, it makes it unpredictable. You don't know who's going to win the next race. Um, and therefore we've got more fans at the events. We've got lots of big brands joining teams and supporting drivers. So um, it is it is a great place to be at the moment. And to be honest, I can only see it getting better. Mm.
0: And Rory, just finally, what's on the cards for you in the coming months and, and looking ahead to next year?
5: So, I've got a few more, got a couple of races to go. I'm, I'm in France at the moment, so I'm, I'm, in a, I'm competing in a classic car race this weekend. am in a 1965 Porsche and, and E-Type as well. And then I've got the FIA Motorsport Games, which is in Italy in two weeks. So I'm going to be re- representing the UK and and also the mg motor group as well i'm racing a tcr touring car out there so that's going to be really exciting and then after that i've got some some other kind of coaching commitments but i'm already thinking about next year i'm already you know speaking to, to the team and the sponsors and planning my training and or planning testing so now it's um as much as 2019 isn't finished. We are fully focused on next year. And, uh, yeah, like, the good thing is we just come off a fantastic result. And so motivation is uh, is really
0: high. Great stuff, Rody. Congratulations again. And thanks very much for joining us here on the show.
5: All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you.
0: That's Roddy Butcher there speaking to us here on Pole Position. <laughs> Okay, let's talk Rally now and the teams have been in testing ahead of Rally Spain next week with Citroen looking like they're going to be bringing some big aero upgrades to the table so let's find out a little bit more on this by speaking to Rally expert David Halley who joins us now David I have to be honest and say my first thoughts here was it looks a bit like a Toyota at the front
3: It does They brought the Bantamabille out haven't they? <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, we it's we, we remember from uh, the last tarmac round of of the championship in Germany, that Sebastian Ogier described the car as undrivable. Mm-hmm. So they've worked incredibly hard to get this uh, the, the car into something that he can deal with uh, for Spain. Spain's a slightly weird one because we start on gravel and then we uh, end up on tarmac. So there's a, a big change in the cars, obviously from one to the other. Uh, but yes, they needed to get something sorted for the uh, for the tarmac uh, for, to, to make him comfortable.
0: And of course, this is the team that was looking to introduce a new suspension, but aren't allowed to do that until next year.
3: Yes, there's only so many things that you are allowed to add to the car without having to go through a whole homologation process. And uh, yes, the new suspension is going to require uh, a a, a re-homologation. So that's inspection by the FIA to make sure that it's right and ready for the, uh, the and to the correct spec. For the World Championship And you can't just Throw that kind of thing At the car mid-season
0: mm. Now David Clearly this is all about Helping Seb Ogier Win another title But do you think They've maybe left it Just a little bit Too late here um,
3: It's interesting That he didn't have the Seem to have the problem On the tarmac Earlier in the season Something happened With the car uh, between uh, the previous tarmac round in Germany that made the thing undrivable, And I don't quite understand how, how it could go that badly wrong uh, unless there was a, a, a fundamental that, that, that something else was hiding. You're, they're developing the cars all the time so that you will unlock something and possibly unlock a nasty by, uh, by, by changing one part of the car and, and suddenly things uh, don't happen as you would expect. And, and they're, they're trying to sort that with this aero this time round.
0: David I kind of felt sometimes I know, I know we've spoken a lot about on the show about how challenging a car it looks to drive but I mean for me it almost seems like there's a little bit of understeer in there um, from, from my eye anyway from what I'm observing but I dare say at least these updates are going to be a step in the right direction ahead of next year and crucially if they're bringing the updates I mean I would be astonished if they weren't fitted to OJ's car for Spain.
3: Right, yes, they will go off and test all sorts of weird things. And the teams, testing is limited, but by james do they go through quite a regime. It's not just go and have a, a drive around there. All the teams are driving forward all the time trying to, to come up with better ways of doing things that don't require a re-homologation. They're looking for the little nits and tucks that take some weight out of one place, put some weight in a different place, just gradually um, working their way through Um, different programs just to get the cars as as fast and as comfortable as they can. We know this car and we've we've seen this car with Chris Meek in it earlier, uh, having a, a, either winning or having a massive accident because the the car is, seems to be unpredictable and Seb's got the skills to drive around most of that but then he gets to a point where even he finds it undrivable. so it's a very uh, difficult car, I think, but they're, they're just working on it to get it as, as best as they can.
0: Mm. And David, just looking into the the rest of the pack for a moment, I, I have a, a kind of sneaky suspicion that, that Elfin Evans and M Sport might fancy their chances of a of a podium here. I, I thought Elfin did very well, and he's come back at Wales Rally GB. Of course, we would expect him to be to be strong at such an event. But again, given the fact that there is a good bit of tarmac in there, I, I rate Evans very highly on tarmac. I, th- I think the, the, the kind of stars are aligning for a a, a good performance next week.
3: Yes, I, I agree entirely, Elf. is is hungry to be back in the hunt. As you say, he did well at, uh, in Wales Rally GB, other than one stage where he had a problem. Other than that, he would have been at the front or very close to the front. So he's hungry. He wants to be out there doing that job. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's good on all surfaces. He, he knows the car well. And he's, again, he's got nothing to lose. There's no championship position that he's chasing at the moment. Uh, So he can go and and give it all and and see where he comes out of it.
0: And David, we we mentioned the return of the Isle of Mull rally last week. Um, Paul McKinnon winning that event in a Fiesta R5.
3: Stunning event. Uh, swamp conditions in a lot of places. It was it was just a very wet weekend and null a lot of the time. Saturday looked dry, but there was a lot of, of standing water from the previous week's work. But the, the whole island encompasses the rally, and and it was just a, a fabulous. Uh, atmosphere for, for motorsport and a, a great event. And, uh, yeah, a lot of very fast driving in some horrible conditions. Guys uh, struggling really, really hard to keep to keep the thing on the island. David Bogie coming third in a two-wheel drive car, albeit a very, very special Escort that he's got. Uh, it's nothing like the, the cars we ran back in the 70s and 80s. This is a very up-to-date car in a Mark II body shell, but by jings does it go well.
0: Mm. David, unfortunately we had some sad news in the world of Raleigh this week, um, Andrew Cowan passing away. Tell us a little bit about his life and his, his career in, in Raleigh.
3: Andrew Cowan was a, a, a young farmer from Dunn's. Now, we've heard that phrase before. Uh, he was a friend of Jim, Jim Clark. Uh, Andrew and Jim started competing together in local events uh, way back in the day. Andrew w- w- was 82 when he passed away on Tuesday, and uh, he he was a, a brilliant driver in his own right. He won the London to Sydney marathon. Now that's a rally where the total distance was 10,393 miles. 17,000 kilometres of of competition uh, in a Hillman Hunter, of all things. Now, a lot of people won't remember what a Hillman Hunter was, but um, it was a a standard family saloon from the 1960s, and he took this car... Uh, to, to win this massive event. He was brilliant at the long distance events, won the event again in, in a Mercedes in 77 and uh, just uh, great at that, brought Mitsubishi really into rallying by using Mitsubishi's, and then was asked to uh, start up a Mitsubishi team and he was the boss of the team that took Tommy MacKinnon to four straight world titles in the 90s. Not only that but a lovely gentleman, a real proper gentleman and uh, uh, a very, very nice man to to, to meet and, and talk to, and looked after these staff and these people incredibly well. And it's it's really sad that he's no longer with us.
0: And uh, David, just finally, how, how do you think he will be best remembered?
3: Probably that London to Sydney. Um, that 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 was uh, he. You know, Roots were not the biggest manufacturer at the time. They were up against the might of of Citroen and. Uh, um, and, and British Leyland and they, they, they managed to bring the, the, the car to the finish and this massive a, a adventure right across the world, driving right the way through to India, then onto a ship into Australia and then right the way through Australia as well. So I say 10,393 miles of competition is quite a lot when you consider that uh, a, a, a modern world rally championship event 300 you know, it's uh, it's almost a whole season in one event.
0: Absolutely, David. Thanks very much. As always, for your time, you're on pole position.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you. That's rally expert David Halley there. Now, let's find out
1: the latest from the Scottish scene by getting the super-fast Scots round-up with Glenn Alcock.
6: Hi, guys, and hello to everybody who's listening. So I might be repeating a couple of things that have already been talked about, but um, I'll just... Uh, uh, doing my little piece on the news anyway so uh, British Town Car great drive by Rory Butcher who you were speaking to earlier on so he won the Jack Sears Trophy and the Independence Trophy led the, the first of the, of the three races but the weather conditions deteriorated and he dropped to fifth by the end of that, that race unfortunately race two was a ninth place finish but it was the final race of the season which was a nail biter really exciting stuff for, for everybody watching and Rory drove superbly and he piled the pressure on the old man Jason Plato to finish second less than a second behind so uh, he finished fifth in the overall championship so it's been a really really good season for Rory and uh, also Aidan Moffat he finished eighth overall in the championship it's great to see such talented Scots in the the touring cars again so I think we're all looking forward to see what 2020 holds for them both and you know if they're going to take a leap forward um, but they've been great entertainment this year and wish them all the best for next season Jamie Chadwick she's the inaugural and current W Series champion and uh, she's also the Williams F1 development driver. Um, so she's going to be back with Graham Brunton racing for the Hayes Trophy at Silverstone on the 2nd and 3rd of November. Uh, so she previously raced with uh, Graham Brunton at the Hayes uh, back in 2017. So he's also got uh, another uh, fast young lady driver at the moment and Logan Hanna. So she's very excited to be working alongside Jamie, who she sees as a role model. Um, so that's going to be good to see if she can pass on some of that you know, experience uh, towards Logan, who is very fast uh, as well. Um, Jamie is an Aston Martin junior driver so speaking of Aston Martin Johnny Adam so WEC victory in the six hours of Fuji in his uh, TS Sport Aston Martin Vantage GTE so that was really good as well talking about um, Graham Brunton so a former Graham Brunton Racing Formula 4 driver Seb Melrose so he moved up to driving a BMW M4 GT4 in the VLN endurance uh, season which he's been doing over in Germany at the Nürburgring on the Nordschleife All season, so this was that's like the faster car for him. So uh, he drove well and finished in fifth um, in class, which was good. Ross Wiley, so we've talked about him before as well. So a great end of the season uh, in his Porsche Carrera Cup car. He stepped in just for the last uh, few races, and he finished fifth in the final two races at Brands Hatch. Um, So that's uh, a really good result for him and a good end to the season. Scottish Motor Racing Club news, so Rising Stars programme, so this is aiming to support Scottish drivers who show potential in Scottish motorsport so there's going to be six drivers that are going to be chosen and uh, one of those positions is reserved for a current go kart they'll uh, get support with sponsorship and development, they'll get some coaching sessions from the SMRC on the SMRC Simulator and they'll be profiled on the SMRC website, they'll also act as an ambassador for the club so you can find out uh, details on the SMRC website about how you would apply for this and the applications close on the 8th of November but that's a great opportunity for drivers who want to to basically get a little bit of support and help um, their, their sort of profile as they try to move up the ranks in Scottish motor racing okay. so we were just talking to David Halley there and uh, he was talking about Andrew Cowan so yeah really sad news today so he's a, a Scottish rallying legend and he sadly passed away uh, at age 82 so he was a young friend of uh, Jim Clark and raised in Dunn's as well, so he started rallying in 1962, won the Scottish Rally, enjoyed the success with arguably his best performances. I heard David, um, David talking about that in the London-Sydney to marathons, covering over 17,000 kilometres over Europe and Australia, and he won the world's longest rally in uh, South America marathon in 1978. He was recognised by the British uh, Racing Drivers Club with the John Cobb Trophy for outstanding success. And outside of the car, he was equally as successful with Mitsubishi as team boss, running uh, Tommy Mackinnon and giving uh, Richard Burns his sort of first um, shot there as well. So it's a sad loss, and our thoughts are with his wife Linda, family, and friends. And uh, as David was saying, I think everybody that knew him, described him as a gentleman, and he was a real kind of character of the sport. So yeah, it's a, a sad day for for everybody who knew Andrew. Um, looking ahead, so this weekend we've got the BTRDA Rallycross season finale. So that's Rallycross is returning to Knockhill, and it's on on Sunday the 20th. So that should be a, a kind of action-packed way to to top off our Scottish motor racing season. So you can get the details on the Knockhill website, and it would be uh, good to go go along and see that um, at Knockhill.
1: And Glenn, some interesting topics there as always, and certainly echo your thoughts on Andrew Cowan, sad, sad loss indeed and thoughts with his family and friends at this sad time. One thing I want to pick up on was the Rising Stars programme that you mentioned with the SMRC, yeah. because it is very difficult for drivers to get funding, something you'll know yourself having raced in the C1 at Cup this year. So just give us an indication how tough it is for drivers, because of course talent can only get you so far in motorsport, which is quite sad really, unlike other sports.
4: Yeah,
6: it's true. And I mean, you see that all the way up even to Formula One these days, don't you? So, you know, people that bring a lot of money maybe get the opportunities, whereas some of the really fast drivers that don't have the backing aren't getting the the same chances. I think instead of reinventing the wheel every year, you know, everybody's trying to do the same thing and everybody's trying to get sponsorship. It's harder now because you don't have the likes of tobacco sponsorship and, you know, alcoholic beverages and stuff. So, um, trying to get some uh, quite a bit of money behind you is very hard. So, I think from the SMRC, you know, giving a little bit of guidance, and a little bit of support, um, that's going to get some of the, the talent, you know, just a little bit of a foothold on to trying to progress um, and definitely it is one of the most uh, difficult parts probably of trying to get yourself actually on the grid even to begin with. I think it's a great um, initiative for the um, SMRC to put out there because really, You want to to see the talent progressing. And they've said themselves there's not an age gap on this or anything that's going to be, you know, available for anybody. So it's just basically people that have the potential to succeed in Scottish motorsport. So, yeah, I think it's a a really good thing they're doing.
1: Absolutely, Glenn. Always a pleasure to chat to you here in Rocksport.
0: That's great. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. That's Glenn Alcock there from Superfast Scots. That's just about us for this week, but Adam, there's one last story I want to get your thoughts on very briefly, and it's um, Johan Zarko making a, a return Um, in the MotoGP. Yes, so he's going to be deputising
1: for Nakagami on the LCR Honda for the final MotoGP races of the year. Nakagami out injured. Zarco stepped in who of course acrimoniously split up with KTM. KTM have invested a lot of money in their MotoGP project but it's certainly not worked and it is a very sad story because Zarco has so much talent. People were
0: talking about him being the next Rossi. It's just not worked out. Oh absolutely and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on in the last couple of races and unfortunately Well that's us for another week here on Pole Position But we'll be back from 8 o'clock next Thursday night To do it all again My thanks to Adam, to our guests And to you for joining us as well of course And stay tuned for The Rock Zone Coming up next on Rock Sport Radio Love music Live sport Pole Position With Andy Alston and Adam Todd On Rock Sport Radio